0: And then you go visit in person, you can kind of get an idea of how much you can trust these brokers, these sales packages, and we'll let you know if it's worth investing a lot of time in this relationship.
1: Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. look at what you've the deal you've got and assuming it checks out he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal so debt equity and potentially loan guarantors Uh, All you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, But besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. And his phone number, 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff we're doing follow along Friday today. How you doing, Theo
0: Hicks? I'm doing good, Joe. How you doing?
1: I'm doing well. And with follow along Friday as a refresher, we talk about what we got going on and not to talk about it to get it off our chest, but rather to always think about how that can benefit you, best ever listeners, as you go about your real estate endeavors. So first, Theo, what you got going on?
0: Last week, I talked about the fourplex in Cincinnati I was looking at and how I was going to approach inspect touring the property by being out of state. And so I had my representative for my management company and my realtor take a look at the property. And long story short, I'm not going to be submitting an offer on it. Let's expand on that. The reason why I'm not is because number one, all the mechanicals were separate. So if you know of my other properties, they had a boiler for everything and then individual window units for AC and then I think there was one water heater for the entire building. At this place, there was individual furnaces, individual outside AC units for central air, and individual water heaters. And all of them were 2002 or earlier, so they were past their useful life, and so I had to replace them at some point, probably pretty soon. So that would have been probably around 15, twenty grand to replace all those. And then I remember, as I mentioned, that this property is actually right next door to a property I was looking at earlier this year and a property that my friend actually bought. And one of the reasons why I didn't buy that property is because there was this massive retaining wall that was right next to the driveway mm-hmm. in between my friend's property and this property. So I'd probably say it's a hundred feet long. It was very long, probably two feet high made of concrete and it's leaning at like a 45 degree angle. And I don't even know if that would pass inspection, <laughs> but even if it did, that's something that would definitely need to be addressed because it would fall over and then all the dirt from the BR next door would, would be all over the driveway. So the combination of those three reasons I'm passing is just too many risk factors from the big ticket items, as well as I guess you can consider a retaining wall kind of like a foundation issue. And I prefer to find properties that are ugly like this one, but the mechanicals are in, in much better shape where I don't have to go in there and place them right away. And, then last, another reason why I passed on it is because my agent just sent out a new batch of direct mailing letters and I figured that I don't want to rush just to buy this deal because it's available when I'm probably going to be getting at least a couple of new opportunities from this direct mailer.
1: And what would be the price that this property would make sense to purchase?
0: 160 170
1: And what are they asking?
0: 210 And they already had to offer right away that first day that they had the tour. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And the guy bought it for one thirty-eight about a year and a half ago and didn't do I don't think he did anything to it. My management company made it seem like he just kind of got in over his head and wants to sell the property, Mm -hmm. which kind of makes sense. The price being so high makes me think that maybe that's true, but he's trying to make a lot of money on it, but it's not going to appraise for that price. So there's really no point to even try to submit an offer until they lower the price down. If they lower the price down, I would consider submitting an offer at 160 But for and now...
1: Why, why not just submit the offer at whatever you think you would buy it for?
0: There really is no reason why it shouldn't. The only reason, I assume they're not going to accept it.
1: Does it cost you anything to submit the offer?
0: No, it doesn't. So maybe I will. We'll see. Hmm. I really don't like that retaining wall. Okay. And if I could get it for one sixty, it would be a good deal, but I still don't like that retaining wall at all. <laughs> <laughs> that really so bothered me. If
1: you get it at one sixty, you still wouldn't be happy with the deal because of the retaining wall.
0: Just because I pay for all that out of pocket, so it'd be twenty five percent down plus the retaining wall. So I guess the deal makes sense at one sixty from a cash flow perspective, but just spending twenty five percent down for the down payment plus another twenty to thirty grand on renovations. I'd rather buy a property that's a little bit more expensive, but doesn't have as many issues to deal with. And it's just kind of prettying up the insides, the interiors, in mm-hmm. order to raise the rents because the me fixing that retaining wall is not going to change the rents at all. Mm-hmm. Me updating the AC units and the mechanicals might have a small impact, but not as big of an impact of me spending a fraction of that on updating the kitchens or the bathrooms. So yeah, I guess overall, it would make sense at one sixty. Cash flow wise, but I still don't think I would do it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So that's my personal rental portfolio. And then something else I want to talk to today is about my syndication business. Yeah. What's going on with that? So I have a business partner and we decided to kind of restructure our responsibilities because initially he was going to raise money and find deals and I was going to handle everything else. So the asset management and the underwriting, but that really doesn't make any sense because if the person who's dealing with the real estate broker is building their relationship, getting sent deals, that person should probably also be underwriting the deals too. Because once you underwrite the deals, there's going to be back and forth communication with the broker. Yep. Like for example, if you're a broker, Joe, and that's finding the deals, I talked to you for a couple of months and then all of a sudden you send me a deal and some random guy appears and starts talking to you about underwriting, you're probably going to be a little confused. And at the same time, the person, especially in the beginning when there's not many deals coming in, the underwriting person is just kind of sitting there with twiddling their thumbs, that being me in this case. So we decided to restructure it so that the person who would be underwriting the deals would be the person that would find the deals, underwrite them, submit offers on them, and then manage them. And then my partner is just going to focus strictly on the investor relations, so raising money and securing the commitments once we find a deal, and then the ongoing investor communications. And just from this past week doing that, I've reached out to 10 different brokers, the brokers that we already had contact with, I've reached out to get their five most recent sales, which I'm going to go visit in person. And that's something that we got from that interview you did with that broker named T. And the idea behind it is that you are essentially selling yourself to the broker, And showing them that you are serious about buying properties by putting forth a lot of effort and then following up with them. So, the idea behind it is you ask them for their five most recent sales, and they'll send you either the addresses, the marketing packages, kind of whatever they have on it. You go visit those properties in person and look at the property and do some research on apartments.com to look at what the rents are, what the interiors look like, maybe even do some secret shopping and try to actually get inside the units. And speak with someone at the property. And after that, you can do a pros and cons list of what you do or don't like about the property. Mm-hmm. Reach back out to the broker and tell them, hey, thanks for sending me this property. I went and visited it. Here's what I like about it. Here's what I don't like about it. If you find a property that's like this in the future, I would totally be interested in buying it. Or since this property had a wood frame or it was built too soon or too long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like that. But something else I thought about too when I was kind of brainstorming my approach to it last night, that wasn't talked about in that T interview, because it's more of something that a person is actually looking for deals from that broker. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to read through their sales package and see what they said about the types of renovations to do and what the types of exterior renovations to do. And then actually go there and see if the sales package aligns with the property. Because one of the only properties I've looked at so far had a sales package and they said that it needed new window AC units, maybe new windows. And I I can't remember exactly what they said, but I remember I went there to see the property and the exterior innovation budget quadrupled because it needed new roofs. The siding was all messed up. The gutters were messed up. And so if you reach out to brokers and you get the recent sales packages and you read through them and you see what they say the property is like and what the market is like, Mm-hmm. And then you go visit in person, you can kind of get an idea of how much you can trust these brokers, these sales packages. And we'll let you know if it's worth investing a lot of time in this relationship. If you go to the property, it's absolutely nothing like the sales package.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I thought that was an interesting tip for people who are pursuing properties out there.
1: Yeah, it's good. It qualifies the property and also the broker. And there's a lot of misleading information that tends to be communicated by brokers to potential buyers of properties. So it's good to qualify that for sure. Thanks for taking it a step further.
0: Yeah, so I will let everyone know next week how that goes. One of the brokers sent me his face sales, so I'm gonna go take a look at those this weekend and reach out to him and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is the real estate broker is the one team member, and then your property management company is the other team member. While you're looking for deals, underwriting deals, I, on a similar note, reached out to my management company. I first asked them to send me sample profit and loss statements from their current clients, but they didn't send those because of privacy reasons. So instead, I asked them just to at least send me addresses of properties, because and this is kind of obvious. If you're a higher management company, you want to see what those properties actually look like. So I'm gonna get a handful of those and go visit those in person and make sure that the way that they are run, whether they're maintained are up to the standards that we are looking for in a management company instead of not doing that and then waiting and seeing how they do once they have a property under management. Because if they don't do a good job, you don't want to find out for your own property.
1: One thing to note is when you visit a property that they're managing and you are not impressed with the landscaping or certain things that need to be fixed that are not fixed, remember that the owner is ultimately the one who's responsible for the CapEx budget and making sure that the property is properly funded. Mm -hmm. So it might be the owner's fault for not giving the management company enough capital in order to invest in the property. However, if when you visit, the staff is not trained the right way they don't get your information when you arrive and they don't greet you properly, they don't show you the right unit, et cetera, then that's a different issue. So it could be the management issue across the board for it's not swept up or there's certain CapEx things that should be fixed, but it also could be the owner's lack of liquidity or capital that they brought to the deal.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And that's why you would need to do more than just a quick drive by, look at it and then leave. You need to dig a little deeper, talk to people that actually work there because that staffing is huge because those are the people that are the face of the property. And those are the ones that are responsible for finding the residents. And if they're showing you the wrong unit or not showing you a unit, then that's a problem. But if it doesn't look good, then you can't know for certain whose fault that actually is. That's a good point.
1: And it might be neither group's fault because it might simply be they haven't reached that part in the business plan yet to invest the capital. So they might be doing it in stages. Mm -hmm. So you could ask the property management company, what is your process for improving the exterior of a property? Do you do it in certain stages? If so, can you educate me on how you do it so that when I visit the properties, if something is not done, then I'll know, okay, well, that's step three, but you're on step two.
0: That's a good point. All good point. So I'm going to implement that and the broker visits, and we'll have a conversation about that next week. Sweet.
1: Well, we closed on Park Village in Duncanville, Texas last Friday, and that's a 350-unit property, so excited about that for our investors as well as our team. Management is on site. And while they were on site, the moment we closed, and it was a smooth transition. So looking forward to having that property perform and overseeing that. We also sold a property yesterday, officially closed around 4.45 p.m. or so yesterday. And that was a property that we had in Houston. The property's name is Alara. So that is now no longer in our portfolio. And we were able to return a little over 24% annualized cash on cash return. The 22% is the internal rate of return to our limited partners. And then to limited partners, annualized cash on cash is 24%. We had the property approximately 30 months. And What that closing inspired me to think of is it would be interesting to do a case study episode for every deal that we close to have Frank, my business partner in Ashcroft, be on the show to talk through the business plan that was implemented, the challenges that we had for each property because each property has its unique challenges and then ultimately the results whenever he's sold. So he's on board. He is also going to Africa for approximately a month for a delayed honeymoon. So that the case study episodes, we've taken three full cycle. So we've got three episodes that we're going to be doing, and they'll probably be in November or December, depending on when they air and when he and I have those conversations. But that's going to be really interesting oh, yeah. for Best our listeners, just to hear the business plan, the challenges, and the results for each of the three properties that we've taken full cycle. So that's that.
0: I was gonna ask you, if closing a deal this past week and then you obviously sold Alara that you bought about three years ago, what would you say would be the biggest positive change in your business or let's say the biggest thing that you didn't know when you bought Alara that you now apply to the property that you just bought? If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, well, with Alara... It was a second deal that we ever purchased mm-hmm. and we included the refinance proceed projections in the investment package to investors. And what that did is it unnecessarily set the bar high for us as general partners because we were factoring in the refi proceeds after year two. Well, we sold in 30 months, so that's like, what, two and a half years Mm -hmm. or so? And we did not do a refinance, we sold. So we set the bar high on the refi proceeds. We still hit the overall project numbers, but from months 24 to 30, we were not because we anticipated having a large refinance after year two. So the takeaway is just don't include refinance or supplemental loan proceeds in any projections and have that be icing on the cake for Mm -hmm. investors. So no other deal in our entire portfolio have we ever put in refinance projections or supplemental loan projections for what those returns will be to investors. We just don't include it. And we let them know we plan on doing it. But to keep expectations lower, quite frankly. We don't have that. And then when we do it, great, it's icing on the cake and they receive a portion of their investment back earlier than what we projected. So in total, Alara achieved the goals once it's sold, but we should not have included the refinance projections in there. And all those investors are really happy. I mean, we're 1031 wanting from one deal into another. Some are, some aren't, and that's great. So that's one lesson learned that from a investor setting expectation standpoint.
0: Yeah. And the fact that you added the finance proceeds after year two and sold in a like two and a half years, So it didn't affect it that much, but if you would have held on to it for five years, then that would have had a pretty big impact.
1: Yep. Exactly.
0: I'm really looking forward to those episodes with Frank. Those are going to be very insightful.
1: Yeah, me too. We'll be doing those once he gets back from a safari with his wife. Let's see. So another thing is syndication school, Theo. Nice work, buddy. We've got syndication school that has launched. And the whole purpose of syndication school is to get into the specifics of how to do aspects of apartment syndication. And I work with Theo on the different lessons that he talks about. And then he brings it home with the lessons on those episodes. Excited about that. I have got a lot of great feedback. We've only had one episode that has gone live. And each lesson is comprised of two parts. And they can all be found on the blog URL. If you go to syndicationschool.com, is that accurate, mm-hmm. Theo? Yeah. Yeah, it's syndicationschool.com. And that will simply be an ongoing blog post with each of the episodes, corresponding material. Yep. It's all free. Good, learn the business. And this comes from the feedback we got from our book, Best Ever Apartment Syndication Book, because people love the how to approach that we took in the book, getting into specifics. And these episodes certainly get into specifics.
0: Exactly. And for anyone who has even the slightest interest in becoming a syndicator, obviously we released the first two part series this week. But these first four weeks are going to be all. Introductions into apartment syndications and kind of going over what you need to do to become a syndicator. So, before we actually go over, I don't say how to do it, but how to do the syndication process is how to become a syndicator in the first place. So, the requirements, some case studies looking at how syndications compare to other investment strategies, and just you analyzing where you're at right now and saying, Am I ready? And if you're not ready, what you need to do to become ready? And then from there, you will learn, again, as Joe mentioned, all the how-tos in a lot of detail similar to what we went over in the book.
1: And speaking of the book, I want to mention something that I found interesting and then I had to think about it a lot and really think about what it means. So when we launched the Best Ever Apartment Syndication book, it was about a month ago and sent out an email to a couple of our databases. I've got one database of just everyone who goes to joefareless.com, puts in their email, and we send them the weekly newsletter and all sorts of stuff. And then I have another database with just my private accredited investors. And then I think we have like a couple others, but those are the two main ones. Sent out an email to those databases and got a great response about the book. A lot of people buying it, good feedback, Amazon right now fast forward a month which is today got 68 reviews on amazon all five stars one four star but four star based on the feedback should have been five but i think they just maybe don't do anything five stars well it wasn't all sunshine and roses though i got one email and it was from a potential investor of mine and the email back said what a great book and this is the quote what a great book. I'd love to read it. Dot 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 dot. But at forty nine dollars is way overpriced. End quote. And then his name. And I went through a range of emotions <laughs> within about ten seconds. At first I was surprised. How could someone think it is way overpriced with the amount of value that is in this book? Took us a year to write. was our baby right? 450 pages of everything about the process. So at first I was surprised. Then I was pissed. I got upset. I was like, wait a minute, how dare he think that and say that? It really upset me, but very briefly. And then the emotion I'd landed on was being thankful because it made me think about not only how he was approaching his thought process, but how I approach my thought process. And where I landed on it was it is beneficial for us to think about everything as an investment because then it will force us to find the meaning and lessons learned from whatever we're pursuing or whatever we're buying or whatever we're investing our time in. And if we're finding meaning and lessons in those things, then we're constantly optimizing our approach. And one thing I learned from the Jordan Peterson seminar I attended, which I've mentioned before, is mm-hmm. be a better version of yourself. Compare yourself to how you were yesterday, not to how someone else is today. So basically, just improve every day. And what was interesting about this email is this wasn't the only email I received from my credit investors, but it was the only one who complained about the price. I received an email from the investor who has, I'm confident, the highest net worth out of all my investors, over 100 million easily net worth. And here's his reply Excellent, comma, I will order, period. That was his reply. So when we've got an investor who has over $100 million net worth, having that comment, it really made me thinking of things as an investment. And I thought more about the individual who had the comment of, what a great book. I'd love to read it, but it's way overpriced at $49. And I had a conversation with him about three years ago. The first conversation, I believe, was about Alara, the deal that we just sold Hmm. for 24 point two percent annualized cash on cash return and he hasn't invested in any deals which is fine you know to each his own but it's something that i believe not only in my opinion he was guilty of not thinking everything as an investment but i also am guilty of that and i had to do some self-reflection of how am i also guilty because if you live in a glass house don't throw stones so how am I also guilty of not thinking of all things as an investment? What is something that I know could benefit me, but I haven't done because of the price, but if I think about it as an investment and how it can help me, well, the price is nothing. Money is a utility to help me improve and build things. And I figured out what it was, at least one thing, and that is YouTube bread. You know what YouTube Red is?
0: Yeah, I have YouTube Red.
1: You have YouTube Red? Well, I've been holding off on YouTube Red because of the (laughs) price. It's (laughs) $11.99 per month, and I just didn't want to fork it over. And this has been over a year. So when I got this email from this investor, I initially was surprised and I was pissed, and then I was thankful because I've been the same way that he has with this book. With YouTube Red, basically, the benefit of it is that I would be able to. Watch videos or listen to videos when it's not on my phone screen. So I can go to another app or I can even close the screen out, but it will still be playing the audio of the YouTube video. And how that will benefit me is I can go on runs and listen to these videos versus me listening to music. And I've thought about this for over a year, but I haven't pulled the trigger. Well, I pulled the trigger right before our conversation today because. I too am guilty of things where I should be thinking of it as an investment and I'm initially sticker shocked by the price. It's $11.99, right? I shouldn't be sticker shocked by the price. Clearly listening to a video from Tony Robbins or from someone else that can have million dollar implications for my business. And same with the book, a $49 book, who cares the price of what's the investment? What's the ROI? So I, I, At first, I was really upset, but then I was like, you know, thank you for that because I too am guilty of that comment and in that thought process. And I will work to think of things as investments so that I can look for meanings and how I can truly really think about how could this be worth the investment of X? So instead of, okay, it's 12 bucks, YouTube bread, how could $12 a month be worth the investment? How can I make it worth that investment? It's a no-brainer for the book. I don't need to explain how that could be worth 50 bucks. But there are other things too that just changing the thought process.
0: Mm. I know this isn't the main point, but another advantage of YouTube, Red is you can download the video to your phone. So you can listen to it offline. So if you're on a plane, you can listen to videos. Or if you don't want to use your data while you're on a run, you can still listen to the video as well. There you go. I like that thought process. I try to apply that to that also in regards to money. But also kind of had a reaction to this guy, doing something. And then you went back and reflected, all right, well, like, do I do the exact same thing? And that's what I try to do a lot is if I get annoyed by something, I try to reflect like, all right, well, do I do the exact same thing that I'm getting annoyed by? And am I getting annoyed because I do that thing myself? And if I figure out what it is that I'm doing, that's making me annoyed. Well, that wasted emotional investment of getting annoyed go away finally. So it's kind yeah. of similar because when you say investment, it could be a time investment and I'm not talking to you, but I'm saying in general, general you as a money investment, because it's also time. So you say, oh, well, I don't want to spend the time to do this or you do something that continues to bother you and that you being bothered in one specific moment does have repercussions in other aspects of your life. You're stressed out and so your relationships are poor and things like that. And so kind of take Joe's advice, and expand it out to also emotional and time investments too.
1: Yeah, you're right. I was probably initially upset deep down because I too am guilty of that same thought process. And once we bring it to the surface, then it's not as scary and as mysterious. Now, Hey, I see you. I see, I see that thought process. Get out of here. Right. Different thought process. And that's why I am one of the newest subscribers of YouTube red.
0: There you go. The psychological term for it's projecting. It's like when you project your own mental processes onto other people, And it helps you a lot emotionally to identify when you're doing that. And then once you figure that out, you can spend your more time being productive and not being mad all the time. So, yeah.
1: And one last point and then we'll move on. An additional question that you can ask yourself if you see, say, YouTube Red for $12 a month or let's go with a book we wrote together, 50 bucks for the book. Uh, Actually, a little bit less, but whatever, 50 bucks. You can ask yourself, what's great about this price? And... If you ask yourself a quality question, then you are likely going to get some quality answers. One is, it's more likely I'll read it and therefore implement it because I invested a higher amount in the book than I typically invest in a book, unless it's a textbook and then that's a whole another category. Two, will I take it more seriously because the investments are similar to number one. Three could be, will it be a higher barrier because of the price point that only not as many people will read it. So if I do implement the feedback, the information, then I'll have a competitive advantage because I've got this information, the 450 pages that not everyone is going to do because of the perceived higher price point. So there's different things you can do or think about whenever you ask yourself, what's great about this?
0: Yeah. I like that third one a lot, the competitive advantage.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Just asking yourself different questions. And really it's just the whole taking a giant step back. This is just all about self-awareness and understanding how to improve continually and asking the right questions in order to do so. It's ultimately what this is about versus seeing something, reacting to it and being on autopilot. That's really high level. That's what we're talking about.
0: Any other updates? Or anything you want to talk about? All right.
1: We got anything else? Yeah, what we got? You got like a review or nothing or this is it? This is it. This is it. All right. We didn't have any reviews. We had zero reviews between now and then, like on our book or anything.
0: We can just do a book review. Just a book review.
1: Book reviews are valuable, Theo. Those are important things.
0: So as Joe mentioned, 68 reviews so far. And I'm not going to read Colleen's this week. (laughs) So from Tyson, who said five stars, excellent overview of the syndication process. Tyson says, easy to read, straight to the point, and no fluff. This breaks down the entire syndication process from start to finish. Now the only thing up to you is execution. It's exactly what we're talking about.
1: With the exclamation mark, I see that review. Thank you, Tyson. And thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. Talk to you tomorrow. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps Towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at the REI